Do you feel as if reality has been altered? That something or someone has interfered with our collective present moment? Then this is the podcast for you. This is the sound of duality. This has the sound of a DMT molecule as it travels through your body, opening you to the knowledge that you seek. It's also the sound of sheep and bliss, wandering this universe and the concept of Sonder as you play a lead role created by these two states of being. Pull up a pew and take a seat. This is a podcast of all you touch and all you see. The guests are everything in between. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the duality of each state of being and the very thin line between each. Welcome, everybody. This is Drew and Jessica. And thanks for listening to our very long but very cool opening. <laughs> Actually love that with our sheet behind there. Um, first off, um, I want to apologize for our absence. Um, just had a, a few health-related issues and also just the nature of what we're doing and the deep dive into this situation of the Bethel uh, experience um, it isn't easy, and we keep finding more and more information uh, that is out there. It's just buried, and you just really have to look for it. And, um, you know, we're hoping the, you know, the longer that we do this, that we're going to get more and more information from people that were there around the same time. And just to give you guys a little bit of a hint that this is not just about Bethel, and it's not just about the 1980s, even though that's what we're focusing on, because that's when we were there. So we want to keep that consistent and talk about what we know about, that we have information going all the way back to the 50s and then all the way connected to today. So we're going to be breaking new ground within podcasting and especially within subjects uh, like this. So we welcome you guys back. And uh, today happens to be July 4th, so happy uh, 4th to everybody out there. And um, hopefully you guys will enjoy this episode. This episode, um, we're just going to do a continuation of the first on uh, the perspective from uh, the the girl's position of being there. Jessica um, is prepared and has a, a lot of good information uh, to talk about today and to give everybody, uh, again, an idea of, of what that was like. Because I think a lot of people don't even realize, we were talking about that, that you know the, the girls were uh, even really there. We were separated, and a lot of times it's spoken of as the Bethel Baptist Boys Home. There's a lot of different um, uh, names that are floated around out there, but no, no, the girls were, were, were definitely, definitely there. And and also had it uh, extremely rough. So, Jessica, I uh, want you to say hello, and then I'll let you have at it. Okay, thanks. Hey, Drew. Hey, everybody. Um, I really wanted to start off by saying that originally, as you know, Drew, we weren't really going to go into our personal details too much of what happened for a number of reasons. But as you just said, how important it was to make people understand exactly what we went through. And then later on, you know, we'll talk about some of the other connections and some of the other things that uh, we think was really going on. Um, Absolutely. But just as far as day by day, what I experienced there as a female, what I saw, what I heard, um, and that'll kind of, I think, show exactly what their methods were and what they were trying to do. Um, And hopefully it'll be more clear after that. Um, So basically the way it started out was um, I was your typical teenager that wouldn't necessarily get somebody sent away these days. It's more tolerated now, but typical teenager. (laughs) I, um, the one issue I did have was with my stepfather. He didn't want children. He actually had a son that he did nothing but check pay support for. Uh, married my mom. When I was about seven years old, and since then it was get rid of me. So ended up having a little few issues, skipping school, 
I think it really all started when I found out who my real father was and actually arranged to meet him on my own. Um, so after that, uh, mm-hmm. I was a horrible child in their eyes. They did everything they possibly could to get rid of me. Like I said, uh, it was to the point where the local police department didn't even want to come to our house anymore because they were tired of me being thrown out and then my parents calling and saying that I ran away. So I guess they went to a tough, yeah, yeah, it was, it was, and of course, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old, you don't know the things that we know now. So, um, there was no CPS like there is, you know, child protective services like there is now. That's basically just, you just dealt with it. So, um, and really not much a teenager could do to speak out at that time. Again, it's not like it is now where you could just dial a phone number and say, my parents are doing this or that. But at any rate, um, they ended up somehow, right. uh, after seeing one, uh, family therapist who basically sat my mom down and told her that her best recommendation would be to get me as far away from this man as possible. Of course, she didn't like that answer because he was wealthy. I might add. And we talked a little bit about that, how uh, these kinds of places targeted people of wealth. But at any rate, tough love was where yeah. they ended up. It was a group <laughs> a group therapy for parents of incorrigible children, I guess. And it went from anywhere from uh, bad study habits to actual crimes that anything in between that your child could be doing. So it was a wide range and seems like uh, nine out of 10 times they would recommend a treatment facility or a children's home such as Bethel. So unbeknownst to me, I was told that we were going to visit my grandparents in Orlando, Florida, which is uh, about a six, seven hour drive from where we lived in South Florida at the time. And I fell asleep, as I usually did, in the back seat of the car. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? So it really funny is. how our stories and are just thinking about exactly it now. Obviously, looking back, I would say, hmm, something's wrong with this situation here because my quote unquote aunt, she was my mom's best friend, happened to be a state trooper. And but she was going through her career. My mom was new in this marriage and whatnot. And so they didn't really spend a lot of time together. So the fact that they came up with this story that my aunt Ronnie was driving with us to Orlando because of, I don't even remember at the time she had to pick up a car or something. I don't even remember what it was, but at any rate, she was just coming along with us for the ride. Made no connection of it at the time that she was actually a police officer with handcuffs until I woke up. Uh, did not oh, yeah. see Orlando, did not see Florida. <laughs> I saw no, no Disney World, no Mickey Mouse, no Minnie no Mouse. Disney World definitely coming. not Cinderella's <laughs> Palace. Um, I woke yeah. up and I saw the bank of yeah. Mobile, Alabama, and then realized that I was handcuffed to my aunt. And immediately, and I don't really remember at the time whether... I had feared something was going to happen if I was going to get sent away. I don't know how I knew. Uh, It was one of those things. It was very emotional. I remember I was in the back seat. My mom was right in front of me. And I immediately, as soon as I woke up and saw that bank, saw the handcuff, felt the handcuff, I said to my mom, who was the back of her head, really, I said, I'm going to get out of this place, just knowing that I was going somewhere. At any rate, uh... She ignored me, as she always did, and let uh, my stepfather control the whole situation. So we continued to drive. I don't remember if I fell asleep again, but we eventually ended up. And, of course, as soon as uh, Mobile, Alabama was only maybe about an hour and a half from Lucidale, Mississippi, where Bethel was. So it wasn't that long after this. Of course, it started raining, as in every uh, sad movie, you know, frightening movie. It It always has to rain. So it started raining. And we pull down this long dirt driveway, and all I see at the end of it is this big white house. And I remember saying to myself, huh, this is the country. I used to vacation every, I used to go to summer camp every summer in North Carolina. I thought, hmm, 
this might not be so bad. Until <laughs> I got out of the car. I remember walking <laughs> into this gorgeous plantation house, two-story white house. Um, and I was met by just a barrage of people. A couple of men, few women, a number of teenagers. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I noticed was how they were all dressed. Um, the only thing that I can relate it to is they reminded me of Amish at the time. The girls, the women were all in, yeah, very long skirts. Uh, yeah, their blouses were that. way up around their necks, their hair, everything. And of course, this was back in the 80s. So we don't didn't have the styles back then that we do now. But definitely, you could tell that there was a difference. Um, no makeup, you know, that that kind of thing. Very plain. Not normal. Um, I immediately, that was the last time I ever saw my mother's face. As soon as I saw these people around me, I was looking around, never saw my parents again, nor my aunt. They brought me into a back room, uh, and it was a lot of yelling and screaming. And I'm sure I threw around a couple of curse words because I remember one of the girls, as they were trying to literally take my clothes off of me, and they had this box of old clothes that I would think now, like you get from a homeless shelter, you know, thrift store or something, but not nice at all, trying to pick out clothes that would fit me and, and change me basically the whole time, yelling and screaming and struggling. And I remember, I don't remember what word I said, I can only imagine, but one of the girls there literally almost had a nervous breakdown with her hands over her ears yelling, Jessica uh, said an obscenity. Like it was literally like something, you know, something piercing her ears. It was so atrocious to her. Right. Then, uh, of course, it was late at night. Nothing much else going on. Uh, After that little uh, event, I got brought up this back set of stairs, very dark, old wood, you know, kind of like a haunted house thing, and get put in the top of a bunk bed with this thin little blanket and a pillow and told, close your eyes and go to sleep. I'd, I was going to say that view, just to go back, I don't mean to interrupt you, but where you see the, the, the plantation, as I keep remembering that, it's kind of like you're looking at it. It's like, wow, this is kind of kind of a beautiful yes. setting, but haunting. Yes at the same time and then how fast it, it changed from something absolutely of a like you said absolutely a haunted house. it was almost like as <laughs> yeah. you enter you know you very similar to these horror shows that they the horror movies that they have out now you see this gorgeous house right and you walk up the steps and then as soon as the door opens the whole atmosphere totally changes it becomes gloomy and dark and damp and just this thick air of just negativity. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, And at any rate, so that was my first night there. I woke up the next morning um, and I probably want to say it was not light out. I don't, I don't remember time zones there and everything as far as, you know, maybe it was five, 6 AM. I don't know. It could have even been earlier, but we got woken up every morning to, and this is where I was saying every day was pretty much the same. So, um, as I'm describing it, this is like what we went through almost every single day over and over and over. Nothing really ever changed. Um, we got woken up every morning by the lights, bright, bright, bright lights, because it was the top of the house that we, the girls ended up staying in. Um, offices were on the bottom. The people that took care of the girls, as I learned later was a, um, man and woman, they were married brother and Mrs. Owens as we were told to call them, their children, uh, a little office over on the left-hand side for Herman Fountain, as we already discussed, is the owner of this place. And then on the top of the entire house, wasn't bedrooms, was it, it was totally gutted out, made into two rooms that the stairs divided um, with bunk beds. So it almost looked like a military barracks. Um, there were a couple of private rooms at the end of each of these big sections for girls that were higher up and, or maybe that had some medical issues or whatnot, which we'll get into in a little while. Um, But at any rate, we woke up every morning by having these huge bright lights flashed on, yelling and screaming, telling us to get up and get on our knees. And then we prayed. So we were basically had to just open our eyes, wake up, flip over, 
on our knees, our head on the pillow, and we prayed. At that time, um, then after that prayer, we had to get down, make our beds. They had to be perfect, military style, nothing, you know, it was always, yeah. everything had to be perfect. Exactly. Um, and then we stood there, still half asleep, you can imagine, um, at the end of each, at the end of our beds, still in what we wore to bed the night before uh, with our Bibles, and they would go around to each of us, and we were supposed to have remembered a Bible verse. It was a Bible verse every day. Uh, if we didn't right. know it, well, I didn't know at the time, but we had to we had to learn this Bible verse. So they would go around the whole room. Everybody had to say the Bible verse, and they would help us and things like that. You thought that they were helping, but um, that was one of the things that would get us laps in the morning. But I'll I'll go into that. Uh, yeah. So yeah, so after that, uh, we were allowed a few minutes to go to the bathroom you know, comb our hair, change our clothes. Uh, then we sat down and we had one of the girls, we do kind of like a Bible study. It was everything almost, I want to say 95% of the day, whether we were eating, cooking, cleaning, whatever we were doing, even when we were in school, so to speak, the quote unquote two hours of school that we went to, it was always Bible, Bible, Bible. Um, and oddly enough, as I was looking back, it seemed as though all the Bible verses that they always had the girls memorizing were from Proverbs, chapter 7, I think, chapter 27, all about prostitutes, uh, unclean women, uh, how women were supposed to be, versus pertaining to uh, how women are supposed to uh, obey their husbands and just everything. It was never just, you know, something from Psalms, you know, anything positive. Anything it's positive. a slow drip of yeah. negativity to get into exactly. about how horrible exactly. you, you are. Mm -hmm. Exactly. We were all whores. We were all worthless. We were, and, and it went by your individual circumstance. Um, I actually remember Brother Fountain one time uh, in our Sunday church service based his sermon that day on my mother and put her down and did a whole, like I said, a whole sermon on the fact that she was married, that she was not married to my father, that she was in her second marriage, that she used birth control, how he knew my mother used birth control, I don't know, claimed that I used birth control, which I, I didn't, um, and just, you know, the whole sermon was about the new girl that came in and, and, and her mother and the circumstances to why I was there and blew it way out of proportion. I mean, it was just, but so at, at any all, rate. It's all to so, yeah, break so you, the Bible you know, really is, but she had a spotlight exactly. on you, just break you Exactly, 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 exactly. Um, then... Uh, so this is my first morning there, get up the Bible verse. Then I get told that I get introduced to this girl. Her name actually happened to be Jessica too. She had been there for a while. Um, was, and all through this whole thing that the, the rules and processes were kind of being explained to me a little bit here and there, you know, like when they put me in bed, they were like, let's just lay here. Don't get up. Don't, you know, they would tell me the rules as they went along. So they told me that morning that for the first 30 days that I was there, I was on what they call watch. watch. All right. And what that meant was that I was being watched by this girl. I was to do everything she did, be everywhere she was. I was not to make eye contact with anybody else. I was not allowed to talk to anybody else. If anybody else talked to me, I was supposed to put my eyes on the ground and not respond, unless it was, of course, Brother Owens or Mrs. Owens or the girl that was, you know, telling me Creating what to do. Creating a clone, um, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for the first 30 days, that's that's what happened. You had to keep your eyes on the ground and not speak even if spoken to and just and that's those 30 days i think are kind of where 
they learn about you. They learn who you are. They learn your weaknesses. They learn what will get to you um, and learn kind of like what technique to use, how hard it's going to be, how easy it's going to be, whatever. So, um, which I can't really remember exactly how I felt at the time. Now, looking back, I mean, it was just very... I think I was still in shock for like the first 15 days. Um, Yeah. Until I finally said, okay, how am I going to get out of this? And how am I going to get out of this sane? And then, and then things started changing. You know, I started going along with the program, but at any rate, so uh, after that Bible verse and we were allowed to get ready, uh, any girls before breakfast, before we went to go cook breakfast for the boys, we were, Anybody that had done anything wrong the day before went out to do their laps. And the reason I know it was early is because when we did laps, it was still uh, dark out. Very, very dark. Not like sun about to come up. It was very dark. And what we would do is we would get five laps for each thing that we did wrong. And the laps, I want to say, is probably, I mean, they weren't in any by any means, uh, they were probably like the size of a basketball court. They weren't huge yeah but it was enough especially when you know you did five things wrong so you've got to do this 25 times first thing in the morning you haven't eaten no nothing to drink nothing so they called it the the rose garden right i never heard that term but i did hear it later so i don't know if they just no worries yeah and and i yeah like and like you and i discussed i think over the years and depending on who was dealing with you at the right. time because we were basically being monitored by other girls oh, yeah. that were there longer and girls that had turned 18. Not We never very, very rarely saw Brother Owens, mm-hmm. Mrs. Owens, or Brother Fountain. It was only when they decided to, you know, walk through uh, like, like the king, you know, and, uh, you know, we basically had to bow to him. We had to put our heads yep. down, couldn't even make eye contact, you know, so... It was really, I think it all depended on as far as what things were called in different terms and whatever. Plausible was, was who, deniability too. Exactly. Around, exactly. See, you know. Right. Exactly. And who was with you at the time, you know, what they referred to it. But yeah, we did laps. Uh, then we went in, we cooked for the boys. We cleaned up. Um, then we ate ourselves. We cleaned up and... But it was very, we're talking about, and I don't know, I don't know if you're ever in any of these areas, but it wasn't like going into your kitchen today and cooking a meal and then cleaning up yeah. and then cooking again. This was like worse than, oh, yeah. I mean, just the most rugged, it, I would have rather been camping in the wilderness with nothing yeah. type of thing. You know, I mean, it was very, pipes were old and rusty and dripping and disgusting and, and pots and pans were, I mean, it was just, well, we'll get into that later, but how there's no oversight in Mississippi, why these things were moved there. But yeah, it's a great example, Jessica, because yeah, no regulation going on. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, So then uh, the rest of our day was uh, cleaning and school for about an hour. We usually had some kind of activity in the afternoon, whether it was picking blackberries or whatever else happened to be growing at the time. Um, and and when I say activities, I later learned that every activity that we had was really intentional. It was never like when we went swimming. It was never, oh, let's let the girls enjoy some swimming. There was always a lesson behind it. And when I say lesson, I mean mm-hmm. a brainwashing technique or what they considered to be a lesson. I know we discussed this one time before, but there was one time when we were brought out into the middle of the woods and we thought, Oh, this is great. And they acted it so well that it was, they were making it look like they were giving us this, this great honor, this, you know, this huge surprise for behaving so well and let us swim in this amazing spring this pond that had spring waterfall and everything. And it was just beautiful. And the more we were swimming, we started to realize we were all looking at each other, like what is going on with this picture? And it turns out we were swimming in sewage. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) And the lesson behind that, exactly, exactly. 
And I remember them telling us all to get out of the water and sit on the edge. And we're now we're all sitting there basically knowing now that, and they told us, this isn't water, told us what it was. And I couldn't tell you where. I've tried to look for it, but I can't find it. Apparently, there's somewhere in the Bible, um, I think, trying to teach the lesson of things aren't always what they seem. I'm sure it's a little deeper than that. Again, like I said, I haven't been able to find it, um, but I'm told it's there. And that was our lesson. So it was over and over and over things just like that. Um, In addition to even when we were cleaning, we weren't given vacuums. We weren't given brooms. We picked the carpet with our fingers to have to clean up. We scrubbed everything with our hands. We wiped things up with our clothes. Toothbrushes. Exactly. And then we had to wear those clothes all day long. You know, it wasn't like, oh, here's a, we we didn't even get sponges, nothing. And, you know, and they even use that as a form of punishment. When I was saying before about how they, they take that first little bit of time, those first couple of weeks to learn um, about you personally and how they can break you and little different things about you. And that's how they form their punishment. I have, it's not really a disability, but I have an issue with one of the fingers on my right hand from a burn from when I was younger. So my pinky finger doesn't actually um, work the way it should because I had so much skin grafting and they honed in on that. And every single punishment that I got, they made sure they exploited that. I had to use my right hand. They used to give us teeny tiny little squares of screen. It wasn't even sandpaper. It was, house screen you know that you take from your window and have a scrub pots with that um but i'm talking like a two inch by two inch little patch and you had to scrub uh, a 20 gallon pot with it and they every other girl was allowed to use this hand or that hand i was forced to use my right hand for that reason so it was all how to break you down how to how to uh how to get to you and on top of it like i was saying the constant you're no good. You're a whore. Women are only good for one thing, and it's to take care of your man. Um, some of the activities that we did, we were responsible for um, mending the boys, which I guess was the side that you were on, their clothes, anything um, Brother Owens needed done for his clothes, their children's clothes. We had to sew. They were teaching some of us how to knit and, and crochet and things like that. I never got into any of that because I wasn't there long enough. Um, you need to be a little bit more privileged to go to that those special, right. you know, classes because that was time with Mrs. Owens. But at any rate, um, and that's that's basically what our what our day was made up of. Just basically being told that we were nothing, being broken down, um, just I guess. I, I hate to keep using the it's word brainwashed. Like plantation, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And I hate to keep using the word brainwashed because, I mean, that's eventually what was going on. But it was more like they were just trying to convince us that this was the better way of life. The way we were living before wasn't working for us. Our parents didn't want us. They brought us there, and they were going to save us, and they loved us, and they they wanted us to be this this wonderful woman that was going to be this wonderful wife one day and and have a bunch of children and you know created this this mental mental picture of what a great life we could have if we there 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 (laughs) only there it was never so you can go home and find a husband and do this and be a productive part of society it was no see how great it is here with us and um we talked about this before, I think, too, where as you as the girls turned 18 uh, and they used to have the girls all the time that had already turned 18, come and talk to us. I said some of them would watch us at night. They would take turns because somebody was always watching us. They would have us them talk to us. Of course, they were so far brainwashed. It wasn't even funny. Um, some of them still oh, yeah. to this day. Um, but they would actually have these girls come and talk to us and tell us how great their lives were now, how they had this little house in the back of the property with this guy that they teamed them up with from the boys' side. And and a lot of them were pregnant, having their first child. So they really tried to, on one hand, 
break us down, show us how horrible we were, how the path we were on was was not going to be a path that we were going to get anything out of. But at the same time, we love you. We want you to be a better person. This is a good way to live. And 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 believe me, at some points, as the brainwashing, I guess, starts to set in, it's almost I remember actually saying to myself, wow. I never have to go back to, you know, the situation I was in before. I could just stay here and live and, and get a husband and have kids and a house. I don't have to worry about anything. And everybody here loves everybody. You know, one big happy family. Yeah, it starts to settle yeah. in. It's like, a, it's like an abusive husband or, or boyfriend, but ends every abuse or attack with, exactly. but I love you. Exactly. So... So yeah, um, forget where I was, but, and the other thing too is, is I know one of the reasons that we were doing this was because um, we wanted to give people an idea of what to look for. And so that, you know, if they ever end up in this type of situation, because these places are still open today, I think we're going to go through that next time, all the places, the history and and places that are still open today, but they, they advertise and I actually was looking at, I just found this, believe it or not, the agreement, the contract that my mother signed for me to go to Bethel, where she dug this out from, I have no idea. Um, but yeah, wow. I just was looking over yeah, it. Signed yeah. you over. I was just looking over it. And of course, it had a lot of uh, tuition and this and that, but it clearly stated in the portion about school how much it explained the whole process of that they were accredited by the ACE um, that uh, wanted to know a whole bunch of information about what um, classes we had already taken, what level, obviously what grade we were in, how many credits we had. And of course, high school back then wasn't like it is now. You don't have credits. You don't have just strictly ninth to through 12th right. grade, you either passed or failed. Um, but they they gave the appearance of a school that in the background is based in religion, when in fact it was the opposite. It was a cult. It was a home for us. And they threw a little bit of school in there. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, it's, it's hiding in plain sight, like we were talking about. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the big cults that the people have heard about, it started that way, whether exactly. it's, you know, it's Jim Jones or it's exactly. Blake or it's this or it's that. If they have a, a an outward facing appearance that they have to kind of put on. And again, which we will talk about later about, you know, the, the government and, and different people that were involved in the government that helped to perpetuate these places. Uh, and again, with no regulations yeah, and really no, school. no paper. Again, the school, I, there was I no remember school. There was very, no very little. Well, there, there was no, there was no um, instruction for one. Um, school, as they like to call it, was just strictly what workbook um, you were working on at the time. You went through it yourself. Nothing was graded. Nothing was looked at. And as a matter of fact, I was in ninth grade when I went in. I was at the end of my ninth grade. I was. It was April, and back then. Uh, schools in Florida got out in June. So I had two months left to ninth grade. I was forced to repeat ninth grade when I came home because of the lack of education that I got. And they were not accredited. And when I went back to my school, I didn't actually go back to the same school, but when I went back to that town and went to another school, they recognized nothing, absolutely nothing. Um, I don't even know why they they gave us school, but my point yeah, I had to do the same thing. I, I had to catch up on on everything, and I really did. I did the best that I could, but I still wasn't able to graduate right. on time. I got it done, and I was very proud of that. But yeah, that, even that short period of time that I was there, the school really, really messed. And then, messed me and up then it seemed to snowball because education. I remember when I went back to school, and with this this information of supposedly everything that I learned, I ended up skipping classes because when I went back, like say I went back and had to repeat ninth grade, they put me in a Spanish two class because supposedly I had passed Spanish one. And I was so embarrassed that I ended up skipping those classes. 
And then finally, you know, and that snowballed into being in more trouble and, and just caused more, more issues. But, but yeah, so that's as far as how school goes. They, there is no school, but it was just funny reading that. They, they gave the appearance to our parents like they wanted all this information because they had our best interests at heart and we were going to get the education that we deserved with the background of religion and, and, of course, they couldn't just hand, my, hand your parents a pamphlet saying, this is a cult, you'll never see your children again, you know, et cetera. But um, I just thought it was interesting. Right. And the other interesting thing I noticed was in the very, very, very first paragraph of this um, contract, wording is everything. And I've learned now, obviously, I'm almost 50 years old, how to read between <laughs> the lines. And some things are just like blatant right in your face. There was one sentence in the contract that stuck out to me when I was reading it. I looked at my mother and I said, and you, this didn't, this wasn't a red flag for you. It didn't say, um, you know, went through tuition and, and what you'll owe and, and if they leave and how much you're going to owe, you know, all the, all the financial contractual stuff. But then there was one sentence in there that said, if your children happens to run, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know, you'll be responsible for this or that. Not if you decide to remove your child or if your child is not happy and decides to go home specifically said, if your child happens to run, I'm like, Oh yeah. Cause there's I no said other to my mom. This that's, wasn't a red flag for you, a, which yeah. obviously, you know, like I said, I'm almost 50. My mom's almost 70. We've, we've, we're way past it. Um, you know, as far as we can laugh about it now, kind of, but, but yeah, it was just so, the idea that these places are still open today and they're running the same way and that even with everything that's out there on the internet, kids still end up at these places because parents just don't, they don't know, they don't know what to look for. Right. That to me now, obviously, because I know what I know, if I ever saw a piece of paper for any of my two children saying, uh, if your child happens to run, the first thing I would say is, why would my child be running? You know, what are they going to be running from? But at any rate, um, well, they've changed with with the times, and, and again, that's something again that we keep saying is, but we'll we'll show later, you know, right. beginning within the fifties, each one kind of used what was going on within society at, at that time, and and in the eighties, uh, you know, there was a, a big push with um, the, the the religious right. Uh, it's nothing like it is is today, and so they would use those type of facilities. And again, cause it was more than, than just Bethel, which we're finding out. I mean, right. there's tons of them um, to, again, like you alluded to that, that these places are still everywhere. I mean, there's even more of them today than there was then, yeah. but they've taken advantage uh, because you can't do it the same way anymore. So they've just morphed into something different by right. using the government and your tax dollars and the healthcare industry to do the same thing. They use the same tactics of, of lying and again, brainwashing the parents and even the therapists and whoever they can get their hands on exactly. to get you into these, um, into these programs where, where they're still using massive physical and, and mental uh, abuse. There's still, right. there's a little bit more oversight today than, than there was then, but, but not, but much, as much as much. there is more oversight, there's more people involved. So whereas back in the eighties, you had these lone people from the church doing all right. of this. Now you may have more oversight and more rules and regulations, mm -hmm. but all of these people now are backed by lawyers and, and, and a whole group psychologists oh, yeah. that, that, that believe in their cause or are members of the church that back them up. Whatever federal laws they get accused of breaking, they go back and quote a state law that allows them to do this. Um, there's one, there's one particular uh, place that's still open in Georgia because, and like I said, we'll get into the whole timeline and everything next time, but this one place in Georgia, they keep going back and forth because they're not yeah. receiving any federal money. And it's a state law in Georgia that they finally passed as a result of everything that's going on um, where you don't have to abide by certain policies if you're not receiving federal funds. So, I mean, they just they just yes. have more ammunition behind them now because they've got more people behind them in more walks of life, you know, attorneys and, and po politicians. They've and, learned. Yeah. yeah. 
and they keep picking up yeah. more, yeah, more politicians, more people of power. And again, I, I have my suspicions that again, are right. very deep once we get into this of what I feel has, has been going on all this time, which I think people are going to be um, either very surprised with, or um, maybe not that surprised um, considering again, everything that's really been going on uh, today and within the last 10 years or so. When you look at just the missing uh, children out there, how many go missing every single year, you know, where, where they're going. Again, these these contracts that we're talking about where you're signing over your your children or again, just that quote that you mentioned, if your right. child runs and if they run, there's really nothing for them to say. So they either bring them back and you read the stories of, you know, this this girl or this 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 boy was caught and brought back. But a lot of them were not exactly and that's not spoken of right they were never seen again ever and some that were just brought there in the beginning and i think because of their situation like you said they weren't in our situation where you had parents that maybe had money a little more uh connections or um a little bit more oversight if something happened but might happen to look into it but kids that were literally just dropped off there and tied to trees. Um, I've mentioned that before. I remember the one that was just literally tied to a tree, like an animal, um, and just abandoned. And the, you know, these are the right. ones that we'll talk about. That you know, I think oh, there's a lot more going on there than than and they the did. Yeah, and how even the fountains didn't even. I don't think necessarily. I'll even give them the credit. Even knew everything that was going on. I think other people were planted within these organizations to continue with, um, you know, especially with the techniques, the brainwashing techniques are a little bit more uh, sophisticated. And I think they could, they could have thought up on their own that it would go backwards in time to the roll-offs right. we talk about. And then exactly. where did this guy exactly. come from? You know, where? You right. Know, it's just like kind of and that's, and that's very true because I'll so. tell you, like I mentioned before, I probably saw, other than the night that I got brought in, I probably saw Herman Fountain a total of maybe three or four times the entire time I was there. It was mainly Brother Owens. Um, and mm. we were told to call him daddy, you know, um, but. Yeah. Yeah. But didn't that remind you that thing we read right, in the first one? Right. Daddy's from Rebe girl, Rebecca. That, that article. Right. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and, and again, we're all yeah. this one big happy family. We love you. You know, call mm -hmm. me daddy. Um, but to what you were saying before about about running and it, they were very adamant about in the very, very beginning when you got there, letting you know, along with the your parents don't want you, you're worthless, you're this, you're that. They made it very evident that, A, I don't know about you, but I did not even know what state I was in. We were not allowed access to any maps, yeah. any books, any any information. I never saw a newspaper. Nothing. I don't even think they had a TV anywhere on the property. I didn't know where I was. I knew I was somewhere out in the woods. Yeah, and they made it very clear. If you even try to run, you will end up back here because your parents don't want you. So that even, you know, is, right. is scary for a child because even if they wanted to run. And and then we also talked about how everybody in back then, I don't know how it is now, but back then, everybody in the adjacent neighborhoods, they all went to that church. They all thought that this place was doing such great things. Um, maybe a little farther out they didn't. Like, I know you were able to find some people that, that didn't feel that way. but And maybe yeah. it wasn't true. Maybe it was just what we were told. But we, well, it's the surface. Right. Well, that too, exactly. yeah, the surface information, but then you're also are dealing with the deep exactly. south and the Bible. We were, we were so, made to believe, know, yeah, dealing yeah. with we were... the most educated of people. Oh, you're right. No, no offense <laughs> at all to anybody that lives in, in the south or Mississippi or Alabama. There's plenty of educated people, but we're talking about tiny, small oh, towns and, here. And Lucasville, Mississippi is, is the cutest. If you look at, at it right now on Google Earth or Google, wherever, it is the quaintest cutest little country town that if I didn't have such horrible nightmares, just even saying the word Lucidale, I would drive through yeah. on vacation and look around and say, wow, I would love to live here. 
But, you know, so again, yeah. uh, that was just yeah. all part of the, the conditioning and the, and the, the, you know, the brainwashing that if, even if we ran away, uh, we were going to get brought back. Well, I remember and it was, and it was a fluke. It was about the laws, you know, where right. they would move from, from Texas and, you know, oh, to, right. to Mississippi right. because there was no oversight mm -hmm. and no laws, you know, it's everything was chosen for the places for, for a reason. Absolutely. And if something happened, it was raided, it would reopen, but somewhere else or in a different city that was dealing with different regulations. So like I said, it, it, it was a lot more going on there. Uh, on on a higher level than I think people really understand, um, but again, we'll try right. to explain it the best we can next right. time. And and I think it's really going to turn the light on for a lot of people that that were there. That's gonna, it's going to make sense to them. They're going to understand and, and and hopefully help them to to heal and realize why they think the way that they do. And even some of the people that felt like oh nothing happened to me, and you know. Some of them I feel are, are somewhat of shoals or maybe know the family, but I think a lot of them aren't. And they really, truly do believe that because that's how a cult operates. I keep saying that. That's how they're they're done. Compartmentalization. Um, yeah. Each section does not know what the other one is doing except for specific people that are in there. Like you said, you didn't see Fountain. Now we, we would see him each morning just for a few minutes, but he would come in and start screaming at everybody when we were standing at attention to do our Bible verses. Um, but then we wouldn't see him after that, but yeah. We, and then vice versa. I don't think you ever saw brother Owens. Right. Yeah. No, remember I, 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 I did. Cause he's well, I mean, the not, guy not on a regular basis. You didn't see him on a regular no, basis. No, no, not yeah. all the time. Yeah. Just sometimes. Yeah. yeah. For specific reasons. And I really think that he was picked maybe because of his history with dealing with girls. I don't know. I don't want to say anything else as far as him with girls. Uh, but I, I really think that, that uh, he was chosen for that position to deal with the girls for a specific reason. Yeah. We need to do a yeah. definite dive on him and, uh, yeah, and his relationship, not just with the fountains, but to see if there's any relationship going back to, to roll off. <clears throat> Cause I have a feeling that he helped him uh, staff uh, uh, Bethel, um, because and you know uh, Herman Fountain looked right. up to him so much. Again, being a heroin addict on the streets of of New York, and so easily manipulated right. um, to again being saved by this exactly. guy, and again having no real education other than, and then he just repeated right. this um, to to the to the children that that right. were there not really knowing what he was exactly. doing, uh, pretty much being given marching orders to the work that we had to do for different companies and, you know, building his house, building the homes that were on the property, but then outside the the property, the, just the money that was made from the labor of the boys. I'm not sure if the girls ever did anything like that either, but, you know, I remember working on the side of different railroad tracks where they, they would call them again, the quote, end work right. crews. That we would go out on but that's that's all very sophisticated mm -hmm. and um, again part of that and i honestly believe i mean yeah, i i have sure. a theory of course uh with all the information i get my theory changes over the years but i honestly believe as we all know this started with lester roloff back in the late 50s early 60s mm -hmm. i don't honestly believe that herman fountain got this idea to go meet and learn from and be, uh, you know, look up to Roloff as a mentor to specifically get into these right. certain areas. I think it developed over time. I think he wanted it money. Did. He was groomed. I think he was groomed just exactly. like, like, like we were groomed right. to a certain He was degree. greedy. And especially once we divulged to people who, who <laughs> were, was right. involved in and we're talking right. some pretty big, big names that everybody in this country or than to know. Right. And I think that over time so. he did anything he possibly could to earn more money when he was getting money from all of our parents and whatnot for the school, that wasn't enough. So then he started with, with the forced right. labor with the boys. Um, most of the things that he did that were going on with the girls, we never, the only, we only left the property one time in the whole time we were there. And that was to go sing at a church in Mobile, Alabama. That's the only time we ever left the property. 
Well, I think that money was being distributed so. to more people too, Jessica. I don't think it was just mm -hmm. to him. Like I said, there was a hierarchy. I right. think it was other people right. just again within the state that were oh. all within politics and then outside of the state federally. And all of this money, again, not just for Bethel, but from other places too, was again being um, doled out uh, to people, again, exactly. to keep these places open and for very different reasons, some mm -hmm. of them extremely nefarious. And that's um, where I think that comes in, you know, because the more, the more involved they got with quote unquote criminal activity, the more and more they had to cover up and pay off and and uh, broaden their their right. network of, of people, which required more money. So the more criminal activity they had to get into to support that and themselves and, and, and of course, yeah. contribute to Lester Roth, you know, went, went down there. But, yeah, I, I absolutely yeah. think that that was, that was how it happened. I don't think yeah. you just set out to do it. The big, the big pedo rings today and, and, and the, the sex rings um you know that, that you hear about and they're all around the world they're they're, they're massive businesses you know billion dollar business industry that happens worldwide um that again i i feel that there's some there's definitely some some connection here right that we'll talk about later but that's what i mean by with these hands you know that's just going into different directions and providing um money for uh, different you know state call them black budget issues or uh back back door dealings um you know just uh, the, the the south oh absolutely That's how things operate uh and in the north too yeah. really everywhere right. what am i talking about it happens everywhere well and that'll come so. more you know when we go through the timeline and, and start naming some of these politicians and, and whatnot oh, yeah. that that all costed a lot of money it didn't come cheap yeah, and things we can back exactly. up, things we can cite, and that's what we're we're ready to do. And you know, just right. speculation. You know, what we're talking about right now is from our point of view that happened to us. That people have to have to take at face value. We have no reason to make any of this up. We're not looking for any notoriety. You know, we're we're looking to again get the truth out, get the specifics out, so people can get a better handle of what happened. Because um, even as you mentioned. You know, it made me think, well, first off, about the techniques that were being used were a little bit more sophisticated. And I, I think this is just something from some small quote, um, you know, religious, even just as a cult, would be able to um, to do until this day, that these are techniques that have been developed over a very long period of time. But, you know, using just religion in, in general, um, you know, that each one of these, whether it's a drug-related farm, home, they would use those types of, of techniques. And this one, it was based off of religion and, and using a family like uh, the Fountains and, and their background. Um, again, just as much, I believe now at this point, as much as I, I heeded this man and his family for what they did to me to this day, but I also have a little bit of a feeling for him because I think that he was definitely used um in a, in a very big way and he's not in, the in only one um, um as we go through our timeline next time no. you'll see yeah. how every Funny. single tons, home tons. that was opened after the initial two by lester roloff they were either opened they by former employees uh you know that mm -hmm. learned from lester roloff and decided to go open their own school I'm sure by the direction of Lester Roloff, it wasn't like, hey, I'm leaving and I'm going to do my own thing. You know, that was his right. way of expanding. Herman Fountain was one and every almost every single one that was opened were either former employees um, or current employees, I should say. And that guy's still around, like you said. He does yes. his shows well, and there's no way you can still be around and doing these things if you right. don't well, have he, connections. He if actually, you're not, he died in 1982. Right. But the person that took... Yeah. Oh, maybe no, I was it was that um, he died in 1982, and this Wiley Cameron took over that's for right. him. But to this okay, day, that's, right. that's it. This Cameron and his wife still run the Lester Roloff Ministries and still play. That's they have a radio thinking. show, I think, in Missouri or someplace like that, maybe Texas. I'm not sure. And they still play his mm -hmm. sermons every Sunday, and they have their People's Baptist Church that's still open. Um, and and yeah. Um, and 
you made me think of something that you said before about um, how uh, we were, you know, basing everything on our experiences and whatnot. But every single thing, I think you can agree that we're telling our experiences. It, it all can be documented. Look online and and type this yeah, stuff in. Yeah, it can be. Yeah. There's thousands and thousands of testimonies. Yeah. For every one person that says, I don't, you know, I wasn't there that long, nothing too bad happened to me. And again, I, 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 everything happens for a reason. You're treated away for a specific reason. But there's a exactly. hundred other documented statements by people saying the exact same things that, that we are. And some, you know, to a T, whether it's the, 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 the room that I was, you know, brought into and strapped down because I gave them such a hard time and had the tapes and I was like, man, I don't know if I'm ever going to find somebody else that can back this up and are people going to believe me? And I did. And I found somebody that had that exact same experience. It wasn't just the room with the chair, which right. was enough to back it up. That would have been enough, but it backed up the, you know, being strapped specifically to a bed and, and for, you know, right. uh, cause he had no clock, but I believe it was at least two or three days and just continually having Herman Fountain being preached, you know, in, into my, into my head about the whole Armageddon issue and, you know, building this, this army of, of children. It got very deep. And, um, you know, those are the things that I don't have, they did not happen to very many people. They only happened right. to a few for a specific reason, exactly. again, because of the compartmentalization. Right. So if it right. didn't happen to you, of course, it's going to sound crazy. It's going to sound like, oh, come on, right. no way. You know, it didn't, didn't happen, but it happened. <laughs> but also, happened. we already we know we've discussed this a time or two before. Is that the the ones that do come out and say we're crazy, we're lying, um, it just didn't happen to me. It. I am forty eight years old, and yeah. I can look back only now. I was seven, sixteen when I went there, and mm -hmm. in the last thirty years, I can now look back at certain things that happened in my life that are directly resulted to my time there. Yeah, oh yeah, you made decisions subconsciously throughout your exactly. whole life up until now, Jessica, that were directly related to things Absolutely. that happened to you then on a daily Absolutely. basis. And that's what brainwashing is, is right. all about. It lasts with you for forever, you don't know it. And a lot of these these people that are commenting on there from, from either side, and again, don't realize that, that even to today, right. but again, if you get older, some people it either it really still sticks with just depending on their their level of capacity to, to handle this or it's starting to come out they'll start to come out in nightmares or dreams or exactly. whatever and yeah they'll start to have memories of, of things that happen to them and you know um, what if it doesn't whether they're physical or of a sexual right, nature even. right i mean they've heard those right. things plenty of those things yeah. out there and if it doesn't if they never realize it hey that's great if they if they're happy yeah. in their lives and, and yeah, I wish exactly I could have that. Yeah. exactly because after the realization is when the anger and you know you go through all the stages of grief and 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 then yeah. the healing yeah. and that takes a very long time a very long time so yeah. um um I doubt that and I hate and I hate to say it I don't mean to yeah. point fingers but you do look at some of them and and you start to do research again which which I'm good at you're good at it anybody that just takes the time but it's like you have this mental block not to do that right. research and before we even came on and I'll tell people now but we've talked about when when my father was coming to pick me up and I was in the police station and I'm positive it was Owens that brought me because he was I believe this man was planted there for a specific reason to really devise this technique and, and, the, and the brainwashing for everything else that I believe that was going on there behind the scenes, but where he whispered into my ear, we are going to come and find you and we are going mm -hmm. to kill you. Like it was almost like it triggered something in me that even though I felt that was strong and I, and I felt like I, I knew what was going on around me and I bided my time and I wasn't brainwashed, it still occurred to me on a certain level and especially being strapped down. I, I do have periods of time that I don't remember. I just don't. So I don't know exactly what, what occurred, even though I have a very good long-term memory, but those times are blacked out and they're bothersome to me. And I think that statement was almost like a trigger because again, that's how it works within, within brainwashing or, you know, it, you know, that's within basic hypnotism it's used, but you know, right. on, on trigger words that, that 
really just shut me up because I did for at least 20 years after that, other than just tiny little statements to people like, you know what, I went through this weird experience one day, I'll tell you about it. But that's all I could get out, even though I wanted so badly to talk about it. There was so much fear about whether or not they, they were never going to believe me or whatever it was. I just did not have the strength, even though I've always been a very strong person. But for whatever reason, that just it right. destroyed me. And I, I couldn't discuss it. And um, But I think that had a, a little bit of something to do with it. I really do. Oh, I'm sure it did. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have anything else you want to add? We're at about a about an hour. I don't think so. Um, like I said, some yeah. some of the other stuff we'll we'll get into uh, yeah. next time and kind of wrap everything up so it kind of all makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, the next episode it'll either be a, a longer one or we'll break it up into, into two more episodes, and I, I think we can pretty much take care of anything unless something else comes to light. Somebody contacts us with additional information, which we, we do. Uh, encourage please if, if you did go uh, to Bethel in the 80s or really any other time and experience any of these things we're talking about we want to hear from you uh, at pull up a pew p-u-l-l-a-p-e-w uh, podcast p-a-d-c-a-s-t uh, at gmail.com um, send us an email let us know and uh, we'd love to you know have you on or at least talk with you and uh, minimally or help you uh, go through any issues that you're going through. We're here for you. Um, and also to um, make, make a plea. Um, you know, we're not a, a massive podcast. You know, we do this because we, we feel we have an obligation to do it. We're obviously not doing it for the notoriety. We're doing it so that this does not happen again. We're hoping that a, a lot of parents are listening or people that are, Christians and and belong to the church, which are a lot of them are you know, the greatest people I've ever met. But even they know that this can happen. It can be taken advantage of and used in the wrong way and used for evil. You know, used for uh, you know things that just don't even want to be repeated. Um, but we want to encourage people to please uh, help out with anything you can through Patreon, you know, through through donations. Because right now it's you know it's just myself and Jessica. We don't have a production team. Um, we don't have you know editing crews and all of these uh, different different things that that most podcasts have. Uh, nor do we really uh, want them at least at, at at this time. We don't we don't need it. Uh, it's not necessary. Um, we don't need to flower things up with music and sound effects and, and all that stuff. I think just getting the information out alone um, should should be enough for people to uh, get serious about what we're talking about, to, to under understand, if to ask questions if you need to, or again, to get this to parents, to have them listen, because it is still occurring today. And it is very similar. Um, not that there aren't good programs. If you've got children that do need help that are acting out, but you know, kids are teenagers are teenagers. They do things. It's best to keep it within the family. You can work it out. If it's absolutely positively hundred percent, something that you can't do that is outside of, of your abilities. And yes, of course, but do the research because 90% of the ones you're going to look up online are not legitimate. They are, are part of these WASP programs that we'll get into in the next episode or two and explain what's going on there. Your kids can literally be sent to third world countries and you don't even know that that's where they are. No kidding. So, you know, that's, <laughs> um, you know, that's what's going on. So, but uh, for Patreon, uh, you'd go to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash pull up a pew. No podcast at the end, just pull up a pew. So that's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash P-U-L-L-U-P-A-P-E. W, even if it's a dollar, a couple dollars a month, guys, you have no idea how far that would go uh, to help us. And especially with the research, you know, all of that takes a lot of time. And uh, and there's even some information I've noticed that, that's out there that I'd love to be able to get through 
um, you know, different states and you got to, you got to pay for that stuff, you know, to get copies and to get to that information. So that's what it would be used for. So nope, that's, that's it. about it. You got anything else, Jessica? All right. Thanks everybody for listening. You guys have a great 4th of July. I don't know if you could hear some of the fireworks already going off in the background. Um, thank God it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. And, um, we want to wish everybody a great holiday weekend and uh, put some thought into what we're talking about after the holiday. Have a good time right now. You don't have to think about these things, but then, you know, take a dive into it and, you know, take this stuff seriously that, um, you know, we, we feel we're doing it for all the right reasons. Um, and we've gotten a lot of great feedback from people. Phenomenal, phenomenal feedback. But this is only going to get out there by word of mouth, of course, through, oh, there goes a big one, <laughs> through Facebook, where you can find us, of course, at Pull Up a, a, a Pew Podcast. And on Twitter, it's uh, at Pull Up a Pew Pod, P-O-D. And that's it. Um, everybody, have a great holiday weekend, and we'll see you bye -bye. in uh, about a week or two. All right. Bye-bye, everybody.